There are a number of people who have claimed to have seen or been to heaven or to hell and been sent back to earth to read, uh, write their book or tell all about it. Many of these testimonials are suspect and great discernment should be exercised believing uh, those so-called visions. The Bible, on the other hand, uh, records testimonials from several saints who were indeed given a vision of heaven. We think of Isaiah in chapter 6. We think of Ezekiel through a number of places in the book by his name. And even the Apostle Paul had a vision of what he calls the third heaven that he writes about in 2 Corinthians. This morning we will all be given a view from heaven in this book. And I invite you to turn uh, to Revelation uh, chapter 4, penned, of course, by the Apostle John. You might remember this aged apostle was exiled by the Roman government to the small island of Patmos. And while on that island, John was given a series of visions that he was told to write down, which would become a part of our Bibles known as Revelation. The word revelation means that which previously has been veiled and hidden and is about to be revealed. While others, uh, like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Paul, had a vision of heaven, John was actually invited to enter heaven for an incredible view. And so my uh, text this morning from Revelation 4 is entitled, A View of Heaven. So let's read the first eight verses, and we'll notice about six things, and I'll be commenting on them, that he saw and that we are able to see with our mind's eye. After this I looked, and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I'd heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So let's take a few moments and notice these six things that John saw. First, he sees an open door. This is 
true. This is truly what John saw. This is not fiction. This is not uh, make-believe. This made its way into the Word of God, so we know it is true. It is accurate. It's the authoritative Word of God. And we have here a privilege of having a foretaste of what's to come for those of us who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, those of us who are born again. Uh, it's amazing that the Lord has given us so much information about heaven. Sometimes I hear people say, I wish I knew more about heaven. There's a lot about heaven. It's just scattered around the Bible. Much of it is in the book of Revelation. But I'd like to share a quote by one of the Puritans, uh, Richard Baxter, who wrote uh, about uh, this concept of God giving us this information. He said, if it had been known, if it had not been known, I'm sorry, if it had not been to make comfortable our present life and fill us with the delights of our foreknown blessedness, God might have kept his purpose to himself and never have let us know until we had come to enjoy the promise of heaven nor have revealed it to us till death had discovered it, what he meant to do with us in the world to come. Yea, when he had got possession of our rest, he might still have concealed its eternity from us, and then the fears of losing it again would have bereaved us as much of the sweetness of our joys. But it pleased our Father to open his counsel and to let us know the very intent of his heart and to acquaint us with the external extent of his love. And all this that our joy may be full, that we might live as heirs of such a kingdom. And then he says, And shall we now overlook all as if he had revealed no such matter? Shall we live in earthly cares and sorrows as if we knew of no such thing? And rejoice no more in these discoveries than if the Lord had never written it? If a prince had promised you a part of his kingdom, how often would you be casting your eye upon it to make it your delight in studying it until you should come to possess it? And has God promised you a portion of heaven, and do you let it lie as if you have forgotten it? I wonder when was the last time, even this week, that you allowed your mind to meditate on the joys of heaven, the glories of heaven, the, the reality of heaven. May God help us uh, daily to make that a part of our lives, to uh, allow such a truth to, to grant us joy, and uh, that looking forward to the time of seeing the Lord face to face and loved ones who have gone there before us. The second thing that John sees is a glory-encompassed throne. Now, if you count the number of times the word throne appears in this chapter, you'd come to 14. So John wants to draw our attention to this fact of the centrality of God's throne. Now, sometimes in the Old Testament, when we read about David's throne or Solomon's throne, there's, a, there's some description of that throne it might mention about gold or ivory, but here there's no description of the throne. It doesn't tell us what material it's made of, how ornate it is, what angle it's facing, because our focus is not to be on the furniture. But this is the place from 
whence God is ruling from. This is the picture of the sovereignty of the Lord. Uh, in the Psalms, Psalm 103, verse 19, the psalmist writes, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Now, John sees glory. We know it is the person of God, and yet we know that God is spirit, and he sees and tries to put into words the glory that encompasses the throne. He lists three gems because for him he knew of no better way to express the appearance that he saw. First, he says that God had the appearance of a jasper stone. Now, if you save your place in Revelation 4 and turn over to chapter 21, you'll notice the only other place in the Bible where this gem is listed. Revelation 21 and verse 10 and 11. John writes, he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. We're told the gem is crystal clear. So this stone was probably a translucent rock crystal through which light could shine, maybe somewhat like our diamond. If you've ever seen the light ray hit a diamond, how it uh, is beautiful, uh, refracts and reflects it. Next, John says his appearance was like carnelium. This was a red gem, much like our ruby. And then John tells us about a rainbow that enveloped the throne. Rather than the spectrum of seven colors like that make up our rainbow, this one is made up, it says, like an emerald, so it would have been all different shades of green. You remember what the rainbow was a reminder of in the Bible, in the Old Testament after the flood. The, remainder is, uh, the rainbow is a reminder of God's judgment and God's mercy. John was overwhelmed by this brilliance. Deep reds, greens, reflecting so brightly that his eyes could not focus on the one sitting on the throne. The psalmist writes in Psalm 104, O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with splendor and majesty, covering thyself with light as with a cloak. Thirdly, in verse 4, John records there are 24 other thrones surrounding God's throne. That seems a bit strange. We would have expected that God's throne would be all alone. We might be reminded of the words of Jesus when he talks about uh, that we will be, actually reign with him. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it tells us that we will reign with him. Now, John doesn't mention anything about these personages. He mentions their elders. And so we wonder, are they some kind of angel? Are they some kind of person? What's the significance of 24? 
Well, if you remember your Old Testament, there were 24 orders of priests who ministered at the temple. Actually, there were thousands of priests, but the 24 represented the whole priesthood, in fact, the nation of Israel. So right away, we might say that 24 elders might be representative of a larger group. Well, who might this group be? The Greek word used for elders is presbyteros, which is used solely of men who are the chosen representatives of Israel, later of the church. John tells us three things about the elders. He, first of all, he says they're seated. Nowhere in the Bible are angels ever seated because they're ministers of God. They've, they're sent by God to do particular works, and being seated is a picture of rest. I'm standing and I'm working, you all are resting uh, as you're seated. Hopefully you're listening and applying the word into our minds and hearts. So I don't think these are angels. Angels are always flying or walking or ministering in the Bible. Secondly, they're clothed in white garments. Sometimes angels are clothed in white garments in the Bible. More often you see the saints who are pictured in white, a picture of the righteousness of Christ that has covered our sin. And then finally, John says they have golden crowns on their heads. Now, there are two distinct Greek words that is translated crowns. The first is the word, what we get the word diadem. And that is not used of the saints, that's used of God's crown. Jesus' crown is a diadem, the ruling crown. The second word is uh, the word, the Greek word Stephanos, and that's the crown of a victor. And I want to draw your attention back to uh, what really would have been our pre-Olympics. Uh, you all know that, the, uh, that, that Greece, uh, ancient Greece, had the Olympics. Paul talks about Corinth in his day having uh, a, a Olympic races. And the winners uh, there did not get medals to wear around their uh, chest like we have today, but they would have a crown of leaves that was placed on their heads. That was a Stephanos. That's the crown that is placed on uh, God's people. There are different crowns that the scripture talks about. There's the crown, crown for faithfulness, crowns for influencing others in evangelism, crowns for loving the appearing of Christ, for enduring trials, and crowns for faithful elders, according to 1 Peter chapter 5. By the way, as we think of these crowns of ivy or plants, I love in 1 Peter 5 where it says uh, that your crown elders will be an unfading crown of glory. So we think about those early Olympians who had the ivy, and I'm sure they were very proud, but as we know, living things die and, and green things turn brown and they crumble away. But Peter says these crowns uh, will not uh, crumble away. They will, be, they will be enduring. It seems to me the elders then are representative of the redeemed church, of us. Fourthly, John sees flashes of lightning. He hears roars of thunder and burning torches. Right in the midst of seeing all these glorious colors. He may have thought back to how God's presence was manifested in Mount Sinai. Maybe you have thought about that too. Let me read from Exodus 
and chapter 19. So it came about on the third day, when it was morning, that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud thunder sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. The manifestation of God indeed is a fearful thing. The people trembled. Hebrews 12, 29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. You might remember the story after the people saw that. uh, They said to Moses, We don't want to hear God's voice. You be the mediator for us. You go up there on the mountain and then you tell us what God wants us to do. John sees seven lamps of fire burning. He identifies them as the seven spirits of God. So we know the torches of fire represent the Holy Spirit. Fire is a picture of upcoming judgment. We're reminded by the rainbow. Usually the rainbow is seen after a storm. But here, chapter 4 introduces us to the future. There's a calm before the storm. The rainbow is this beautiful calm. And then we know, if you know the book of Revelation, from chapter 6 through 18, God's holy hatred for sin is about to be unleashed on planet Earth. Fifthly, we see a sea, John sees a sea of crystal clear glass. He uses the word sea. He's not talking about literal water. He's speaking of an expanse that separated him from the throne of God. He uses the word glass, but I don't think he's referring to literal glass. I'd like you to turn back in your Bibles to Exodus 24. Earlier, I talked about those who had the privilege of seeing heaven. You mentioned Isaiah and Ezekiel, the Apostle Paul, and I purposely saved Moses until now. Moses and some people who were with him also got to see what John saw. Exodus chapter 24. I'll start with verse 1. God said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Now if we jump up to verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Whatever the sea of glass that John saw seems to be the same sea that these men saw. God's glory, which has existed eternally, which a handful of saints have really had the privilege of seeing, will be seen by us. We will see the Lord in his glory. Those of us who know him. The glory of God will be unleashed in the new heavens and the new earth, reflecting and refracting to the point that John says in the end of Revelation, there won't even be a sun to illumine the new heavens and new earth. 
The sun will not be needed because of the glory of God. And then sixthly, John tries to communicate about four living creatures, most likely symbolic language. He compares these four beings with four of God's creations, the lion representing the most noble, the ox, that part of creation that's the strongest, the human face emblematic of intelligence and reason, and the eagle symbolic of the swiftest. Isaiah, you might remember in chapter 6, has this experience of seeing these, these creatures, which he refers to as seraphim. And as he tries to communicate what they were like, he talks about having, they had six wings, with two they covered their faces from the brightness of God's glory, with two they covered their feet, which is a portrayal of utter humility, and with two they hovered, ready to answer God's every bidding. And we remember there, Isaiah says, they kept saying over and over and over, holy, holy, holy. Now, there are 19, 20, 21 of God's attributes listed throughout the Bible, and nowhere are any of those attributes repeated like God's holiness. We don't have love, 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 or mercy, mercy, mercy. Here, both in Isaiah 6 and now in Revelation 4, angels are repeating, holy, holy, holy. I love that hymn, don't you? I love singing that hymn. We saw so much of scripture uh, there in those words that the hymn writer uh, wrote for us, composed for us. Up to now, we have had a description of what we will see when we go to be with the Lord, what our loved ones who have preceded us are enjoying now. But now we move from description to activity. We notice the activity of these four living creatures, and let's look at some uh, a little bit closer at that activity and, and what these four living creatures are saying. Back to Revelation chapter 4. They say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's another one of God's attributes, isn't it? He's the mightiest of the mighty, He's the strongest of the powerful, He is omnipotent. It's so great to know that our Lord can do anything. He's sovereign. Last night, uh, before I went to bed, and now that I'm in my 70s, I should be more careful about cords and, uh, that, are, that are running across places where people walk. We have a fan that we kind of move around, especially my wife who struggles a little bit more with being hot. And so... Uh, as I'm, as I'm kind of getting ready uh, to move back to the bedroom and go to bed, I, I know that there's a cord there, and I think I lift my foot up so I won't trip over it. And sure enough, the cord was, went between my toes, and I'm just stumbling and expecting to fall, but praise the Lord I didn't fall and break a bone, and you would have had maybe Gary or Steve preaching for you today. 
Uh, but immediately, I just thank the Lord for his sovereignty, uh, his mercy. And yes, he does allow Christians to, have, to injure themselves and to have car accidents, which reminded me on 170, on the way here just moments ago, I thought that I was completely clear to move over a lane and get off on Natural Bridge. And the very last second, out of my blind spot, I see a guy pass me real fast in that right lane. I was a second away from just running into him. And I'm reminding myself, be more cautious, be, move slower, Dave. And uh, both of those cases, just in the last 12 hours, reminded me of the presence of God, the care of God, the protection of God. And again, Christians get car accidents. It just Thankfully, that wasn't the time. Again, someone else would probably be up here preaching, which might actually have been a relief for you. But uh, we have this, this proclamation of God is the mightiest of the mighty. You say, well, how can he be involved on the entire planet with 7 billion people? He knows everyone by name. He is involved in the nations. He's involved in macro ways and in micro ways. And then we also see he was, he is, and he will be. That's speaking of his eternality. He's the eternal one. Now, what other activity did John see in heaven? And this is going to connect us a bit to next week, because next week we're going to move on to chapter 5. Really, you've probably heard this from Pastor Clint or maybe from someone else teaching. These chapter divisions are not part of inspired scripture. They weren't added till five or six centuries uh, later. And so oftentimes uh, they're troublesome because uh, thoughts are meant to be connected and those chapter divisions sometimes keep us from connecting it. So we'll hold on till next week to look at chapter five. But throughout both of the chapters, there are five songs that are, uh, that, that, uh, are mentioned here. The first one, we have just the four living creatures here in verse eight. There's just the four living creatures singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. But then, as we move on to verse 11, we have another song, and we have other people. Uh, so let's, let's pick it up in, in verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. These 24 elders, perhaps again representative of the redeemed church, begin singing. And so that volume, that crescendo is increased so much higher than the first song. And hold on till next week because we will see that crescendo building throughout chapter 5. A little historical note that might help us to, to, to get the, 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 uh, 
just the beautiful picture of worship. Many of you know that the Roman emperors thought that they were gods on earth. Uh, They desired the worship of their people. Many of you know that in the uh, first century, second century, many of the believers who refused to worship their emperors, to burn incense to their emperors, were put to death. Uh, Domitian, Domitian, one of the Roman emperors around this time, wanted to be worshipped by everyone on earth, and so he required people in his court to greet him, worthy art thou. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine husband saying to your wife, now when I walk in the room, I want you to say, worthy art thou, or vice versa. Or kids, if your parents said, when we walk into the room, you say, worthy art thou, and you, yeah, right. Uh, that would deserve an eye roll, right? The emperor expected that. He required that. To his court, worthy art thou. These are the three words right here where the elders, they're not saying it to the emperor, they're saying it to the Lord. The other thing that Domitian said was, I want you to say, worthy art thou, our Lord and God. No. No, the elders, the church, says that directly to the Lord. Worthy are you, our Lord and God. Not Domitian, no one on earth. And what do we activity do we see the elders doing as they fall down in awe before the Lord? They cast their crowns before the throne. They recognize there's no place for self-congratulation. There's no place for self-praise. Crowns which will be given to every believer at the judgment seat of Christ as rewards for different things will not be shown off before one another. In fact, they're probably not literal crowns. They're pictures of what a crown is a picture of, and that's authority. But we won't be comparing ourselves with one another. There'll be no indication. Others get something more than what I got because envy will not exist in the new heavens and new earth. We're reminded throughout eternity, anything we've received, anything we've been able to do is because of the Lord. It's because of his salvation. It's because of his Holy Spirit. It's because of the gifts that he has given to us. This worship that appears in this chapter is centered on God the Father. We don't have God the Son yet. That'll be next week. We'll be worshiping him as redeemer. But in this chapter, God is worshiped as creator. He's creator. So uh, don't think that our worship is limited to the second person of the Godhead. All three of the members of the Godhead are God. They are deity. They are deserving of our worship. And again, our worship isn't only centered on our salvation, but on the attributes of God and the acts of God. And here we have this focus on the Lord as creator, as creator. John hears these words, you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. By the way, God did not correct that. He didn't say, well, that's not completely true. Actually, I caused the bang that brought about life and everything has evolved since then. No, God received 
the praise because it was true. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to thy name. Give glory because of thy loving kindness, because of thy truth. Most of you have heard of the Salvation Army. You may have heard of their founder, William Booth, or his wife, Catherine Booth. Once Booth was asked the secret of his success, as tears came into his eyes, he said, I'll tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me to have. There may have been men with greater opportunities, but from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus could do, I made up my mind that God would have all there was of William Booth. If there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it's because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and the influence of my life. As we conclude today, I want to ask you, does God have all of you? Have you given him your heart, your soul, your mind, your hands and your feet, your activities, your thought life? Have you placed your faith in him as Savior? I would like to ask you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, just one more verse. I want to draw our attention to this morning. John chapter 5 and verse 24. Jesus is speaking. John records these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Heaven is not, as Randy Alcorn calls it, our default destination. Heaven is not waiting for everyone who passes from this earth. It's, it's a gift for all those who have said yes to the person of Jesus Christ, to the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and to know that Christ is coming back again to reign and to rule for all time. So if you have not uh, confessed your sins to, to God, we don't have to confess to a priest, we confess our sins to God alone, and we put our faith in what Jesus has done as he's come he lived a perfect life that we cannot live. He died a death on the cross that our sins really deserve. And so uh, our own sins are forgiven through the death of Christ as we place our faith in him. I, I would beseech you if you have not uh, made uh, Christ uh, your own Savior and Lord, that you would do that by faith before you leave uh, today. So I'd like to conclude uh, in prayer now as the worship band comes up to lead us in another song. Lord, thank you for this, this picture. As, as Richard Baxter wrote so many hundreds of years ago, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to give us a picture of, of eternity and of heaven. Uh, you didn't have to tell us anything about what's coming. 
You didn't have to send your sa- a Savior, your Son. You didn't have to raise Him from the dead. Lord, all these things are, are flowed out of your will, your goodness, your mercy, your kindness, your power. We thank you for our Savior Jesus. And Lord, we do say, along with the psalmist, not to us, not to us, but to your name be all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.